0: Well, we have been walking our way slowly through the Paul's epistle, which we call 2 Corinthians, and uh, we've been, uh, we're today in chapter 6, verse 2, and no, we're not going to go through the rest of the book verse by verse, one verse each week, but next week we're going to have several verses in our Cluster, But this week, only one, again. The, uh, the verse that we're going to be reading, 2 Corinthians 6.2, begins with, For he, and since uh, reading that by itself, you don't know who the he is, I'm going to read the last part of verse 1 to give us a little context, but we'll be focusing on verse 2. This is God's word. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We talked about that two weeks ago. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. And in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold now is the favorable time. Behold now is the day of salvation. In the verses before this verse, Paul has been talking about this great salvation that God has wrought in Christ. In the last verses of 2 Corinthians 5, he says that in Christ, God makes people new. For through Christ, people are reconciled to God. Because God no longer counts their sins against them. Since they were counted against the sinless Jesus instead. And then he implores them on behalf of Christ. To be reconciled to God. And then in the first verse of chapter 6. Paul urges the Corinthians as we read a minute ago. Not to receive this amazing grace In vain. And now in verse 2, Paul tells us why this grace of God must not be received in vain. For he says, Now is the favorable time, and now is the day of salvation. In order to make his point here, Paul in verse 2 quotes from the Old Testament book. Of Isaiah. Now Isaiah was a prophet who prophesied around seven hundred years before Christ. More than any other prophet, he foretold a time when God would send a Christ into the world, a Messiah, to save Israel and the other peoples of the world. Isaiah 49, where this quote comes from, is one of the chapters of Isaiah where he talks most plainly about the coming Messiah and this coming day of salvation. And in verse 8 of Isaiah 49, the verse that's quoted here in the beginning of verse 2 of 2 Corinthians, Isaiah is talking about this coming day of salvation and this coming time of God's favor. And so Paul quotes from this verse in Isaiah to express the magnificence of the grace which he is urging them not to receive in vain. For he knows that this verse in Isaiah is referring to an era which began when Christ came. Behold now, he says, now that Christ has come, it is the favorable time. It is the day of salvation. You see, when Christ came, a new day dawned. A new era began. Even the calendar reflects it, doesn't it? A whole new reality came into being. All those who live after the time of Christ, like us, live in the era of redemption. To those who are perishing in the world, it may seem like everything's going on as before. But because of God's word, we know better. We know that Christ's coming has changed everything. We know that the river of life has flooded and run out into the barren wilderness of human sin and has begun to turn it into a thriving, lush garden of God. We know that man has desperately needed salvation since the fall of Adam. And in Jesus Christ, God has listened to man's need and sent Jesus to rescue us. We know that his coming doesn't just adjust our lives. It doesn't just give us a little bit of help. Rather, it makes all the difference in the world. It replaces mourning with dancing. It replaces God's righteous disapproval with God's warm welcome of sinners. It replaces death with everlasting life. It replaces despair and meaninglessness with hope and purpose. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We we talked about that verse just a few weeks ago because that's at the end of 2 Corinthians 5 as well. And those who live in this age are the ones, as Paul says in his... Then 1 Corinthians, we are the ones upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. And you should know that that language, now is the favorable time, is the language of the jubilee. You remember in the Old Testament that God established with his people Israel. That one, one year out of every 50 years, they would have a year of Jubilee. And in that year of Jubilee, all debts would be canceled. All slaves would be released. The lands that had been sold would all return to their original owners. A year of Jubilee was Going back, erasing all the issues, all the debts, and everyone starts over again. And this is the language that he's using, that Isaiah is using, and that Paul is quoting to refer to the day of Christ. And of course, this is used elsewhere in the New Testament. Jesus himself talked about his coming as a year of jubilee this great time when all the debts are canceled and all the slaves are freed. You see, when Christ died on the cross, a great door was opened. The barrier between God and man was removed. In fact, this symbolized this in the temple where there were two rooms and one room was where God lived, the Holy of Holies, And there was a barrier, a very thick curtain that divided the rest of the world from this place where God dwelt. We're told in the Gospel of Matthew in 27.15 that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Signifying how God had opened the way to his presence even for sinners and multitudes have been streaming through this door ever since Hebrews 4:16 tells us let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace we can go into this presence of God and fellowship with him that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need and our confidence in going is not in ourselves but in the Christ of God, who was the spotless sacrifice for our sins and whose righteousness we are given so that we might become the very children of God. This is too great a salvation for us to miss out on. Such a marvelous salvation that it must not be received in vain. As Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to see and God through him to get, trying to get us to see. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of, the servant, of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. This declaration of praise for God's salvation, that finally this promised salvation that he promised from the holy, through the holy prophets from of old has finally come, this celebration. Where do we find this? We find this on the lips of Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. You remember the story when the angel said that he was going to have the son and he sort of objected or asked, it was expressed disbelief, and God took away his ability to speak for nine months while John was in the womb, or probably a little bit more than nine months because he couldn 't have been in the womb until Zacharias got home from the temple, but anyway, longer than nine months, just little facts of life here anyway so zechariah when the baby 's born, Zacharias uh, finally his speech is restored. And what does he say? Finally, I can talk. No. He says, finally, after praying for 90 years, we have a child. No. He says, finally, salvation has come to mankind. Finally, this promised Savior is coming because that's what the angel had told him. That's what the most important thing in his mind was even though he just had two amazing things happen in his life, it didn't matter. This was the thing that was really important. And it's why it's important to us as well. No offer like this has ever been made in the history of the world. So uh, years ago. Uh, I loaned my car to a group of people that wanted to go to a concert over in Maryland because uh, we had a car that held a lot of people and they would have had to take two cars. So we happily loaned our car. And so while they were, we didn't have uh, Easy Pass back then in our car, and they went through a thing that required Easy Pass and didn't even realize it. And so I got a bill in the mail, because they took a picture of my license plate I got a bill that I, I hadn't been driving the car it was $1.45 plus $10 fee because you didn't have the Easy Pass. well, I thought, well, you know, I can't just go to one of them because it was a whole group of people in the car and I, so I put it on my pile of stuff And forgot about it. I I don't like paying $10, $11.45, just lightly, you know. Well then a few months later I got a bill for $41.45 because now a $30 late fee had been added to the, the original bill. Well, I'm not going to pay $41.45 for something that I wasn't even there for. So I put it on my pile of stuff. Well, when the bill was finally something like $130, I got a letter in the mail. And the letter said, I, I'm sorry, this is embarrassing. You know, you, you're learning something about me here that probably I'm not, I'm not proud to share, but... But the point is, I got this letter in the mail saying that the Maryland state legislature had decided that they would waive all the fees and just ask people to pay the original amount. You owe a dollar 45. You know how long it took me to write the check and send it in? <laughs> About six seconds and get that baby in the mail and take care of that debt with joy. That was an amazing offer. But the offer that God has given us in Christ is so much greater. And the stakes are even higher now than they were before Christ. He brings with him far greater opportunity and riches of blessing. But if we refuse him, the consequences are much worse than they would have been before. How shall we escape, Hebrews tells us. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The door which has been opened in Christ will someday be closed. The openness is temporary. It's open now, but it won't be open forever. And Jesus emphasizes the nowness of this salvation often when he comes. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter it and will not be able. When once the master of the house is risen and shut the door. And you begin to stand outside and knock at the door. Saying, Lord open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. That's Luke thirteen, twenty four, and 25. You see this door is open. But it's only open for a time. A short time. But we don't know how long that is. We're just told that it's short. In Luke 12, the chapter before that, Jesus described the person who puts his confidence in his earthly accomplishments. He says, I will say to my soul, this person, he quotes this person who puts his confidence in his earthly accomplishments, I will say to my soul, 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 you have ample goods, laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? All that you accomplish. What difference does it make if, you're, if the door is shut in your face? And right at the end of Jesus' life, he tells the story of the parable of the ten virgins, where the door is shut on the five foolish virgins because they had no oil for their lamps. Over and over, Jesus emphasizes the nowness of this great opportunity for salvation. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. The time of opportunity is limited. The Bible's message to be reconciled to God, to not receive the grace of God in vain, it's not only a true message, it's an urgent message. We need to wake up and be alert to God's call before it's too late. I've had the unique experience of rushing my little sleepy children out Of a burning house. I've had the experience of running around inside the non-burning part of a burning house seeing if there was anything I should grab to save it from being consumed. So let me ask you this question. How long would you wait to leave a house that's on fire? What if there was 10 minutes left of your favorite TV show? What if your team was rallying in the ninth inning and you wanted to see if they could win the game? Of course, those are laughable. We would never stay behind for those things. And yet that's what people do all the time with the salvation of Christ. When the house is on fire, When your house is on fire, do you know what a blessing it is to have a door that opened up and no obstruction between you and that door? How many people have died for going back in for something that wasn't really important and that path was closed One of my favorite stories is the story of the horse and his boy in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And those of you who have read that know how Shasta, this little boy, has heard about a plan for the bad guys, the, the army of the Tashban, and they are rushing to attack the city of Archenland the kingdom of Archenland. And they want to get there by surprise before Archenland can close the doors of the fort, close the gates of the city. And so Shasta's rushing to get there to tell them to close the gate. Well, let me tell you, ask you this. When the word comes that the enemy army is rushing to, to get there before you can close your gates, how long are you going to wait before you close the gates? Of course, you're going to close them immediately. You only be a fool to say no. I'm still got some clover to pick. You know, I still I'm picking flowers. I just hold it just a minute. I'm coming. You know, that, ridiculous, right? Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may not be the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Now this certainly applies to all those who have received Christ as well as those who have never received Christ. For we who have received Christ the, the, the ones who have never received Christ of course they must flee to Christ while the fleeing is good but it also applies to those of, those of us who have believed who over time have drifted away. After all, this is, these instructions, this is written to church people. This is the Corinthian church he directs this to. And it's very possible for Christians to drift away from Christ. You know, in Jesus' letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, the first church, Ephesus, though they had done many things right that they commended, get commended for, they had lost their first love for Jesus. Jesus. And the last church of the seven, Laodicea, they had left Jesus outside and he was knocking to come back in. One of the things that the Lord taught his disciples on the last night he spent with them before he went to the cross in John chapter 15 was that they needed to abide in him. They needed to stay connected to him and not let themselves be separated from him apart from him they could do nothing and yet this is why did he tell his apostles I mean this is these are the guys that should know this stuff already right well all of us we're prone to wander we're prone to wander away from the Lord and we all need to fight to stay close to the Lord and stay connected to the Lord I've known seasons in my own life when I didn't abide in the Lord but drifted from him And sadly, there are Christless Christians in desperate need of coming home. Maybe it's you. Maybe you are a Christian, but living a Christless life right now. I'm not talking about your doctrine. What you believe I'm talking about your daily life is Christ really the center of your life is he really a part of your everyday are you crying out to him for his help are you relying on him in times of anxiety are you listening to him are you seeking to grow in him and learn of him the five foolish virgins they were in the company of the wise virgins they had no oil. Their fire had gone out. They were still there. They were st- they still part of the church. But there's no more fire. They were foolish to put it off. And we're foolish to put it off too. This urgency doesn't just apply to those who are outside of Christ. It even applies to those who have drifted to Christ Now, is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. This is urgent stuff. It's so foolish to take this lightly. When a wise person is awakened by the sound of a distant smoke alarm in the house, he jumps out of bed to rush to see what's going on, lest there be a fire. The foolish person covers his ears with his pillow and turns over and tries to go back to sleep saying it's probably just a false alarm. One day Christ will return like a thief in the night. Why, we're t- why, we, why does he say that? Why does he say those, use those words? The point is, you, a thief in the night surprises you. You don't know that he's coming. That's why he comes in the night. Christ will return like a thief in the night. Or perhaps he will call us home unexpectedly. He calls us to live in a constant state of readiness. Not allowing unrepentant sin to just hang around in our hearts like it's no big deal. Not allowing animosity to dwell in our hearts toward others. Not living casual, laid-back lives as if there's no danger to be concerned about. Last year, God convicted me of the sin of procrastination. I never thought of it as a sin before then. Now, I'm not trying to say that everything that you could call procrastination is necessarily sinful. But when there's something you know God wants you to do, I think it's sinful to put it off because you don't feel like doing it right now. And when God convicted me of my sinful procrastination, he showed me that my procrastination was based on at least two heresies. The first heresy was the heresy of thinking that life is long. The heresy of thinking that I have more time than I need to do what God wants me to do. I believe that's a heresy. God has only given us a certain amount of days on the earth and he has a will for us to, do, to accomplish in every moment of every day, including rest. But that itself is out of obedience to him and in him and resting in him. Remember the parable of the talents where he gives only a certain amount and he judges based on what we do with what he gives. The second heresy that my sin of procrastination was based on was the heresy of thinking that my time is my own. But God calls me to make the most of my life Making the most of every day. Ephesians 5.16 tells us to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. The fact is, we are not our own. We've been bought at a price, 1 Corinthians 6.10, 6.20. I take my my desires and my feelings so seriously. But the thing I should be taking seriously is God... And you know, in in the Ten Commandments, what's the first one? What's the first one he puts right up front? You shall have no other gods before me. I'm supposed to be first. And when Jesus teaches us how to pray, what's the first thing in the prayer? Hallowed be thy name. That's taking God seriously. Lord, help me take you seriously. That's basically what you're praying when you say, hallowed be your name. The fact is whoever you are, believer, non-believer, person who's drifted away or person who's, who, you know, delighting to be with the Lord. For each one of us we can say God is calling us. God is calling us. Peter preached in Acts 17, God overlooked the times of ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent Because he has fixed the day when he will judge the world through Christ. He doesn't tell us when that day is. Therefore, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 24, 44. So God is calling, each one of us. And God says, today if you hear my voice... Do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Come back to Him today. Don't wait. Don't wait. He's calling you. Don't harden your hearts. Don't resist Him. Don't try to put it out of your mind, hoping you'll forget about it. Come today. Come now. Today is the day of salvation. Now let's come to the table of our Lord where we celebrate what he did for us upon the cross by partaking of broken bread and wine that's poured out, symbolizing his broken body and his blood poured out. Let us pray. O Lord our God, We have been given a great treasure. May it not be stolen away from us. May the devil, O Lord, not be given opportunity to take it from us by being distracted, by being bored, by thinking of all things, by by worrying about things in our lives. O oh Lord, may we receive your treasure and may we be jealous to, to enjoy it and benefit from it for we desperately need it, O oh Lord. Help us not to harden our hearts toward our precious Savior, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.